It's the Underpowered Hour on this week's show, Ride On EV Goats, Top Tool Tips, an all-new imitation Land Rover, Land Rover Book Club, and an all-new segment, Responding to the Comments. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at the Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the rigid ladder chassis to Stephen's monocoque. I'm the bulging disc of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. So, I don't know if you've seen the news uh, this week, but uh, Land Rover is willing to send a new Land Rover owner into space, near space, but like Richard Branson space. So so the, I think that's kind of the better space than Jeff Bezos space, just not quite as good as Elon Musk space. But anyways, they're willing to send you uh, to Richard, Bans- uh, Richard Branson uh, space. Uh, and like Richard Branson, I believe you have to be nude underneath the jumpsuit. Uh, like Sir Richard Branson uh, was, of course, for his uh, flight. And uh, I'm, if, n- I'm nude under my clothes right now. Yeah, that's perfect. Oh, yes, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm uh, ready. They are willing to send a new, a new Land Rover owner. You get a uh, hundred entries. If you've ordered a new Land Rover, you get fifty entries. And every Land Rover owner uh, gets one entry if you want to go and fill out the paperwork. So, Ike, that means you could have 500 entries. <laughs> I think you I'm going to win. Be, yeah, you're going to win. You're going to be on I'm the same win. level. Oh, man, wouldn't Land Rover be pissed off if the person that won this, I'm sure, very expensive trip to space with Richard Branson was like, I've got Disco one from 1992. <laughs> Freelander. Oh, a Freelander guy. I think that would be celebrated you, the now, world Now over. you then have the option to buy an astronaut edition Range Rover, right? That's true. That's true. And I think you're somewhat obligated to. You're obligated. I mean, they sent you to space for free. That's not cheap. The least you can do. The least they have you to can recoup do. some of their money. Yeah, you got to get them. You got to get one of those. Now they won't be able to deliver it because there's no chips for it. But eventually, you'll get the astronaut edition Range Rover. So I, I feel like they they posted a, a reasonably substantial quarterly loss last yeah. quarter. Um, I wonder if that has anything to do with buying space shuttle trips. Yeah, it's because of all the spaceship trips uh, for, uh, you know, Series 2A owners that uh, accidentally win. I, I like that, though, they're trying to stack the odds towards new Land Rover owners. But if it is a truly random drawing, like, you know, yes, that, that, does, that does skew the odds. But it still opens the door to some guy with a Freelander getting sent into space. What a story that would be. That'd be pretty great. That'd be pretty great. Well, we'll have to we'll have to enter. Yeah, I think we should each enter several times and uh, and just see. And we'll do the first podcast uh, first podcast from near space. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be really interesting. In in other news, though, and this I think this is probably uh, some of the most delightful news that I certainly I have 
heard in some time. And I know this is something that you're a big fan. I've, I know that, uh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. And I'm so excited about it. It is Kawasaki's new rideable electric goat. It's literally a rideable electric goat. An EV goat. When some, you know, some manufacturers are going to, you know, obviously electric is the future. You want electric snowmobiles. I just saw a great electric snowmobile, electric side-by-sides. There's electric boats, of course, electric cars. Uh, Kawasaki said, you know what? We're going to go in a a direction that, that you're not expecting the electric goat market. And I'll, I'll tell you what, you know what? They've cornered the market on electric goats. You know, to be fair, it, it does kind of resemble a goat and an Ibex and a, yeah. um, uh, like maybe a llama. Sort yeah, of a little llama. Little. I thought it was, a, the neck is a little bit elongated. I imagine, you know, to fit in batteries or I, I don't know exactly. It's exactly. pretty great. Like, uh, you know, in terms of of off road vehicles, this this might be my favorite. I would sell all my Land Rovers for. You think you know? You think goats. it ought to be like a pretty decent? It's the Rokon of like EV goats. You know, like it's just a uh, you know. There's no terrain. If you've ever seen the the Boston Dynamic like yeah. dog videos, you yeah. know those things are pretty capable, pretty incredible. You know, in terms of their balance and capabilities. And I'm sure if you've seen those, you've probably thought, "Man, I wish they made a bigger one you could ride." on yeah and and that's kind of what kawasaki's done they've made this giant robot and and then the natural conclusion of that is like well if i could ride on any electric animal naturally it would be a goat i mean that may say something about your canadian heritage but uh (laughs) wild goat riding that's a uh, you know it's a big it's a big pastime well the uh the the handlebars are built into this particular goat which uh I'm sure some of our more rural listeners will appreciate yeah. um, a goat with handlebars. <laughs> What's the range on that goat? Like, what do you get? Uh, you know, it doesn't say what the range is of the goat or the top speed of the goat. Yeah. But uh, honestly, I would, uh, I don't think it would matter. I don't care either way. Yeah, it doesn't. It really doesn't matter. Like, And, and as I've said many times uh, over the past uh, couple months here, I am actively looking for a vehicle that will carry me the three blocks to Starbucks from my workshop. And uh, man, EV Goat has quickly jumped to the top of that <laughs> list. I'll tell you what. I mean, we've had gas-powered scooter in there. We've yes. had maybe a CT90, possibly yeah. something uh, you know in, in that. Uh, but now EV Goat for EV sure. Goat. Mm-hmm. I mean, no question. Uh, you know, well, God bless them over there at Kawasaki. Uh, I wonder if they'll offer it in a, in a two-stroke uh, version. I don't know the answer to that. Kawasaki is an amazing company. They make uh, they make so many different things. I feel like they make musical instruments, like you could buy a yep. Kawasaki piano or yeah. or maybe even a brass instrument. Something I, I like think that. so. I think so. I think they also they make like some power tools. Yeah. Um, like you can get a Kawasaki drill for some reason. Yeah. And you can get, of course, some great motorbikes. They make some some fantastic motorcycles. And, and, and uh, now, a bed, I think you can get one of the toilet. They make the toilet seats. They make fancy uh like heating, cooling, light show, noise making, vibrating, massage toilet seats. <laughs> I guess I don't have one of those. Oh, you got it. Well, you know what you're getting for Christmas. Do they have handlebars? So, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. And they're shaped like a goat, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> oh, no. So yeah, oh, you no. just sort of straddle and uh yeah, no, it's great. It's uh you know, they've please, got a real please stop describing that <laughs> disposition towards the goat. But uh yeah, no, they are. They're a fabulous company and uh and they've made so I think they make yard equipment too, don't they make like uh, yeah. mowers and stuff. Sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Sounds right. Well, innovative. 
there you go. Put down your pre-order for the Kawasaki Duke Goat. We have no idea how much it costs, how far it goes, or how fast it goes, and we don't care. Absolutely want one. Still, still want one. Oh, yeah. We're going to warm that up for the... Uh, I mean, again, another thing you know we've been looking for is the official underpowered hour corporate car. And uh, <laughs> I think, you know, again, EV Goat. You know, we were sort of thinking one of the T-top uh, um, uh, Freelanders, one of the little pop-top Freelanders, but... Uh, can't find one that runs, but this, uh, this, you know, this could be it's a hot contender. I think. Speaking of hot contenders, um, this uh, week, a long requested. We haven't done a tip top tool tip in a long time. We've it's been time. busy with you know so many other things. It's time. Um, we got three, I think. Uh, well, we got one really good one and two questionable ones. Um, but uh, speedy, speedy sleeves was something that we were talking about the other day. Yeah. Like, what in God's name is a speedy sleeve? For those folks who don't know, because I think a lot of people probably aren't familiar with them. But once you know, like the goddamn handiest thing in the world. Well, when a when a man really loves a woman, I see. No, no, that's something different. Never oh, mind. that's a different. <laughs> but it doesn't have a so, ton of time. <laughs> so, so a speedy sleeve is is a thin metal cylinder mm-hmm. that fits very tightly on the outside of a sealing surface to repair it. Mm. So what frequently happens with a seal is uh, it, it will start leaking, and somebody will replace the seal, and and without realizing it. It, it, you know, they have ignored the surface on which the seal rides and it still leaks. So uh, this product is is a very thin, usually stainless steel mm-hmm. sleeve that fits over a ceiling surface. So uh, like a, a shaft is, is a common um, surface against which the seals are a spindle, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, it's used to to repair that groove in the sealing surface without machine work. So you press this on and the seal then rides on this thin stainless sleeve instead of the original material. And that allows you to continue using it and doing no machine work or, you know, uh, it avoids having to replace the part entirely to restore that surface on which a seal rides. So these, um, they're not typically inexpensive you know they're yeah. they're usually between 40 and 70 dollars maybe depending mm-hmm. on the size of course and they come in a, a pretty broad range of sizes they're not terribly inexpensive so sometimes it doesn't make sense economically mm-hmm. if the part is 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 cheap you might just consider replacing it instead of using a speedy sleeve but in certain cases the part is you know, very difficult to replace or impossible to replace. And mm-hmm. in those cases, the speedy sleeve makes a lot of sense. So we use speedy sleeves at the shop periodically to restore things like crank pulleys, you know, yeah. or uh, spindles or, mm-hmm. you know, various shafts that uh, need to be sealed to keep uh, fluids and lubricants inside of their reservoirs. But yeah, it's a, it's a super handy thing to know about. And uh, the trick to, to getting a speedy sleeve that works well is to carefully, carefully measure that spindle or that shaft that you're working with so you get the appropriate sleeve and you've got them there's a few different types of speedy sleeve but typically it comes with an installation tool so it comes with a little tool and it it basically that's a cylinder that pushes against a flange so you can Mm -hmm. install the sleeve and then the flange is perforated so it actually peels away you know that metal flange you just remove it now uh the trick is sometimes that insulation tool is not long enough to reach mm. the ceiling surface on a shaft that you might want to you, you might want to press it down you know 10 inches onto a shaft and uh, the installation tool is is like a cap 
mm-hmm. with a center and that yeah. might only be, you know, two inches. Yeah. And so then you have to get a little creative with how you're going to get that speedy sleeve in the location where the seal rides. But usually when you look at a sealing surface, you can see, you know, does it have a groove? You can run your finger over it. If your fingernail catches on that groove, it definitely isn't going to seal. Yeah. So that'd be an instance where you could uh, use a speedy sleeve. How about you, Steven? Uh, you, uh, use these a lot? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it came up in a, a drive flange that was particularly difficult to find the uh, front-facing output drive flange of the uh, LT95. Uh, those were pretty tricky. I did end up finding one and just replaced it because it was had been bouncing around inside uh, of a uh, very loose, <laughs> unfortunately, at some point, that, that one mating bolt had come loose and it had been bouncing around inside of its uh, inside of its seal for quite some time, and so it was just beaten to uh, beaten to shit. And uh, save finally finding one uh, over in the UK. Uh, yeah, that was a real. It's a real, uh, real alternative. And like you said, it's almost never worth it on like differential drive uh, flanges and things like that because they're they're cheaper than the speedy sleeve would be uh, to put on in many cases. But if you wanted to keep an original, you know, for the defenders now, they don't make the original ones anymore. They're very expensive, or very hard to find, and the new ones. Some people don't like those. They're two. They're a single part instead of a two part. Um, and so that would be an opportunity to to use something like that. But it is uh, it is uh, a tricky, but a really cool thing. It's like something that a lot of people don't don't know about, and and so many people you see online have replaced the seal in somewhere, and then immediately complain that well, I replaced it, but now it's still leaking. What what's going on? And uh, sure. yeah, without looking at that mating surface it's a uh, yeah it's a bummer when you spend all day ripping the differential uh, apart in your uh, land rover to put it back together and find the uh, exact same puddle of oil when you come out the next day that's a uh, <laughs> it's an annoying an annoying feature so i personally always uh, swap out the drive flanges when i uh, when i replace those seals because in most cases they're cheap enough to just uh, toss them out and get a new one. And I actually personally think the one piece drive flanges for the for the TD three uh, TD or the three hundred TDI rather axles are are actually better than the two piece uh, than that little uh, that little thrust uh, member. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, another uh, fancy little uh, tip. Uh, tool tip that I found uh, the other day. I can. I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, companies like Ryobi make uh, just a million different shitty single-use tools. And for those who are huge Ryobi fans, try any other tool, and you'll be a, a fan of that. I mean, you've obviously never tried anything else, but um, they make a cool. They make a couple cool little things. Now, I, for better or worse, am you know, am a, am a Dewalt uh, person. I have all Dewalt electric shit. Um, I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm saying they're all pretty bad and it's the one that I have. Um, so I have a ton of those DeWalt, uh, you know, 20 volt uh, uh, lithium batteries. And sometimes there is a tool that I would really like to use and it's a Makita or it's a uh, Ryobi or it's something like that. And only recently, and I'm sure maybe everybody else in the world knows this, but for the other person who didn't uh, realize that, you can go on to Amazon and you can get battery adapters for basically anything to anything. So if you've always wanted that Ryobi $30 tire inflator gun or something, um, you can, in fact, get adapters from basically any set of batteries to any set of tools. And they're pretty inexpensive, 20 30 bucks, and it lets you use uh, you know, the electric ratchet or the something that you really 
really want with your uh, preferred uh, system. What, what do you guys use over there at the old uh, Pangolin uh, 4x4? All steam power, I believe, right? That's right, Stephen. It is uh, entirely external combustion engine powered hand tools <laughs> yeah hand tools yeah tiny <laughs> tiny little uh, steam engines on the back of a of an ugadugga it is uh, quite the uh, quite the operation think, over there I, I think we might have a few milwaukee ones too yeah yeah, you're going to have that. I mean, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you pick one when you first start off because in my case, there were some particular DeWalt tools that I happen to like their form factor. And now I've got all those batteries, so I'm never going. But now, hey, you can have whatever you want. Now, you just have to be careful because there's a lot of like battery sensing tech in the tool that tells it not to completely discharge the battery to complete ruin, which uh, if you adapt it to something else, it is very likely that that tool could ruin those batteries. So just don't run the batteries completely dead because you can you can wreck the, the batteries doing that. But otherwise, you know what? It's a pretty handy way to uh, get access to one of those tools without having to buy into a bunch more batteries and have a different battery charger and then find a place to plug it in and all of that sort of garbage. So I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan. Now, uh, last uh, tool tip uh, today, Ike, I, I know this is something that, that you struggle with, um, you know, a, uh, a seal puller. Uh, you know, sometimes dangling a, uh, you know, a raw fish uh, in front of a seal will work and they'll sometimes chase that down. You can get them out of, you know, if they're if they're in the upstairs bathroom and you just need to get them out onto the lawn or something, that'll sometimes work. Um, this is a terrible joke. Yeah. <laughs> but again, somebody, you, can, you can tell I've been working on differentials because uh, pulling the pulling seals out of things, especially especially if there's a shaft running down the middle of wherever it is that you're trying to uh, pull. Uh, seals uh, out. What do you use uh, for uh, for pulling seals? Like, what do you like? Uh, what do you like to pull a seal with? I have a set of Mayhew pry bars that I use for pulling seals out of various diameters and um, shapes, and usually that will do the trick. Uh, occasionally, you get a really you know stubborn one, and you've got to use a um, more specialty tool like a. Uh, slide hammer or something like that to to pull the seal out with a hook. We have a yeah. snap-on uh, slide hammer that's got a little tooth. Put yep. that in there and kind of work your way around the seal, and that that'll definitely pull it out if it's a stubborn one. But typically, I I just use a a pry bar for just the pry bar. Yeah, I have a little. It's uh, the best way I can describe it is like it's a it's a slightly bent screwdriver shaft with a little articulated hook thing on the end that lets you sort of put the the elbow, if you will, of the tool against some hard surface around the outside of the thing, and then just get the little the little hook hand in behind it and just kind of pop it a little bit. And especially in a place where you've got, you know, again, for instance, because I just changed out the drive member of the front side of the LT95, um, the drive flange, um, you've got, you know, a piece of chassis running through there. You've got exhaust parts running through there. You know, it's a jungle gym of shit around there. So you've really only got one little angle that you can get a little tool in. And so I found that to be uh, I found that to be useful. What's the What's the brand of that seal? You know, puller? it is uh, a one that I have found on eBay. And if you look on, strangely enough, you look on, eBay brand. It's eBay brand, uh, <laughs> generic like hooked seal puller. I'll put a I'll put a link. I'll put a link down in the show notes, or we'll we'll so post helpful. on Instagram. So yeah, I know, helpful. super helpful. Look on eBay. Look on eBay. <laughs> See if you can just just Google seal puller and um, by my incredibly vague description, good luck finding one. 
if you find it, send us a, yeah, we'll uh, we'll throw it up there on the old Instagram. Uh, as again, it's like a generic, the most generic thing. But I have to say, every once in a while, it's real handy to have. You know which one I don't like is those seal pullers that have like you know they're like the metal flat hook one. Mm-hmm. that just destroy every surface that they touch, either the one yeah. that you're prying against, the seal itself, the sealing surface, the every it just it just mangles and destroys everything that it touches. I remember early on, like somebody's like, oh, you got to get one of those to get those seals out. And I'm like, it's just the worst. And you can see if it's been replaced before, somebody has used one of those because there's a thousand it's like little... A, it's like an little, ice axe for lemurs, those little things. <laughs> it is. It's like a tiny little ice axe. You can kind of... Yeah. And that's probably a better use for it than trying to get a seal yeah, out of us. I think so yeah. too. Yeah, they just destroy things. So, um, like a a controversial, let's say at the very least, controversial segment. Um, and we'll uh, we'll loop around to why at the end of this episode. But a uh, controversial segment uh, that is one of fast becoming, I think, my favorite, and I think a lot of other people's favorite uh, imitation Land Rovers or imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, This week, we have an imitation Land Rover, the Nissan Patrol. (laughs) <laughs> which uh, I can, there's a whole the Nissan Patrol Club of North America, just like gasp. Why they're all listening to the show, oh, yeah. I don't know. It's a Land Rover centric show. What do you expect that we're going to say? Um, but, uh, but Ike, why is the Nissan Patrol an imitation Land Rover? Well, the, the first generation Nissan Patrol, well, the, the G series Nissan Patrol definitely has a lot of Land Rover influence. And um, certainly it is not the only. Uh, Nissan product with a lot of British influence. You know, yeah. you look at the Nissan Fair Lady Roadster and you're like, you know what? That's a lot like a British Roadster. <laughs> and uh, the Nissan Patrol G Series um, uh, trucks are mm-hmm. are similar in that way. They they definitely have a lot of Land Rover design features. Now, the front end of the Nissan Patrol sort of looks like a mix between a a Toyota Land Cruiser and a Land Rover. Yeah. But but where it starts to get really definitive is is that hip line that the mm-hmm. Land Rover has, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that the Series 2 Land Rover came out with in 1958. The yeah. Nissan Patrol has that same design cue, design feature, the, the classic Land Rover hips, if you will. And uh, the Patrol has that same design element. And from like the late 60s, early 70s, right? That's uh, That came quite a ways after the 2A. The, well, I think it's like middle 60s is middle where 60s, the, yeah. the G-Series yeah. patrols came out. And I could be I could be wrong on the exact date when those uh, first came out, but um, definitely well, don't the worry, Series the, 2. The Nissan Patrol Club of North America will let us oh, know. Uh, they'll yeah, they'll remind the, us, yeah, I'm sure. Right. But uh, yeah, the, the, the similarities don't stop there. When you yeah. look at the patrol, you know, the overall shape and the overall mm-hmm. size, the overall dimensions are very similar to the short mm-hmm. wheelbase Land Rover. And then you've got um you've got a rear cross member that's very Land Rover-esque. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. tapered it, yeah, towards is, the corners. Yeah. yeah. Has yeah. a rear oh, the earlier ones have a rear PTO hold just like a Land Rover. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of similarities in the design features on the patrol. Mm-hmm. Where it really starts to get uncanny though is is in the interior so the dashboard mm-hmm. of the nissan patrol if you look at it yeah the shape of the dashboard shape of the firewall the layout is very similar instead of having centrally mounted gauges though they have gauges in front of the driver yeah. Yeah. but as far as the way they look the pressings that they yeah. use for the dash panel 
all really similar. The position of the heater, the, um, the, the vents, you know, how the mm-hmm. vents are laid out mm-hmm. on a patrol. Those are all really similar. If you looked, if you were, if you sat in a, a Nissan patrol of that period, you might think that you're in like a late to a sort yeah. of feeling yeah, vehicle. Sure. Yeah. All steel dash, all, yeah. you know, the seats are very simple, square pads with a, with a back. You know, the, yeah. It all feels, it all feels uh, reminiscent. Now, one thing that the patrols have that the uh, Land Rover, of course, doesn't is three windshield wipers. Which uh, I think is, uh, is a nice, is <laughs> one a nice more. feature. One the more. middle one for that middle passenger to be able to get, instead of making two reasonably sized useful windshield wipers, instead it has three tiny nonsensical windshield wipers from the from the top, which I think is a, is a nice feature. I've never actually been in one in the rain. I've only ever been around a couple of them. Period, and it was it was a fairly nice day. But um, but yeah, they're they're much smaller than they look. I think because they look so much like a Land Cruiser as well. Well, you you look at pictures of them and you think like, oh, this is like the size of a Land Cruiser, but it's it's quite a bit smaller. They're they're a little they're a little guy. It's a it's a compact truck, you know. The, a lot of them at that period were um, you know similar sized, but uh, you know certainly they 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 looked at a Land Rover when they designed this and no they were question. like, oh, we can make a few changes, but yeah, Three, you know, the, this doesn't have enough windshield wipers. We could easily get one more windshield wiper in there. Yeah, the Fine. the steering wheel looks really similar. Yeah. The you know the bulkhead the itself roof is super similar. The hard top, especially like the shape and size of the window, the curve of the top of the roof, even the fact that they were the top of the roof was painted white, which is not a you know totally specific Land Rover thing, but certainly uh, it is. Uh, it's got lots of. Although it did have crank down windows. Yeah, they do have a crank down window, which didn't uh, come out into the Land Rover until the Defender in the '80s. So maybe that's an improvement. But certainly the the shape of the door and the hip line and the door all is very Land Rover esque. Now the the Patrol made some improvements over the Land Rover. The engine is a six cylinder, and at one time it was the most powerful compact SUV you could buy. I think it had 155 horsepower, which was more than the Land Cruisers. 135 and mm-hmm. certainly more than the Land Rover's yeah, 77 right. horsepower. 77, yeah, yeah, so that was a big improvement, but the, the transmission really uh, was a little bit of a letdown. The three speed transmission was um, not, didn't really have low enough gears for, mm. for what you would want off road. And um, the, you know, three speeds is, is it's one yeah. less than four. So one. you just didn't have uh, the gearing range that yeah. you have in a Land Rover. So, that was one thing that maybe wasn't as nice, but uh, certainly well constructed the patrols, and I believe they're still making a version of the patrol. And the axles on the new ones are incredibly strong, I've heard. And uh, yeah, they don't and, sell and, them here and in of this course market. they call the there is a new Nissan Patrol, which is which is a like a modern SUV. They yeah. borrow that name, but yeah, I believe there's a utility version of that car that is still uh, available in in foreign markets, but. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I want one as badly as I want like many other Jimny. Yeah, yeah, a gypsy. Ooh, ooh, Jimny. controversial. Jimny. Well, I want a Jimny so bad. I can't tell you. I don't want a gypsy at all. They're selling but, them at Texas like dealerships around the border. I have uh, read a couple of articles about picking <laughs> up uh, a, a Jimny on the border, and they're you know it's just questionable legality there. But I don't know. I'd be up for it. it again. Wouldn't be the first thing that you've done those questionable not even, legality. Not the last. It won't even be. I mean, it barely <laughs> scratches the surface. You know of the. Uh, Anyways, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I uh, yeah, famously, famously, I want a Jimny 
more than more than I should. And Do you want car. it more or less than the Kawasaki rideable coat? Oh, I don't know. It's a tough race. <laughs> I mean, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I refuse to choose. If I have to choose, it's not worth living. We're going to take a very quick break to hear from this sponsor. And now back to the show. It's time for Land Rover Book Club. The Land Rover Book Club. So, Ike, you have a, uh, you've brought a, a book to Land Rover Book Club this week. Uh, great one. Great one. And, and one of my favorite Land Rover-oriented book names, uh, Too Long in the Bush uh, by Len Bedell. Yeah. So uh, for you, those of you that don't know, Len Bedell is uh, an Australian engineer who is responsible for the survey and construction of many of the roads across the Australian outback. And uh, he wrote a series of books, and one of them is called Too Long in the Bush. But uh, and that's, wrote, a, uh, that's a personal grooming uh, guide from what <laughs> I understand, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it is not. Sorry to disappoint oh. you. But it uh, chronicles his travels and uh, some of his uh, projects in uh, constructing these roads across the outback. And he's kind of a Australian folk hero, um, mm-hmm. you know, super smart guy, you know, did a lot of navigation by the stars. You know, he's out there with an astrolabe and uh, he's got his Land Rover and he's taking, you know, observations of the stars to try and, you know, get these roads straight and to, you know, take a heading and, and uh, follow that. So, um, you know, sort of the gist of a lot of the, the books as, you know, he's driving around in a Land Rover and he's finding interesting things out in the Australian outback, Aboriginal peoples and, mm-hmm. you know, various animals and uh, neat uh, natural features and uh, really is uh, fascinating sort of uh, hearing his descriptions of encountering these as a, a Western person for the first time and, uh, you know, becoming, um, uh, you know, he's he's clearly in love with his country. You yeah. know, he just uh, loves that place and wants to tell everybody about it, and, and it really comes through in the writing. But uh, it's it's super fascinating, and the you know his vehicle that he drives around in the in the books is a Land Rover. Yeah, and so he's uh, you know riding out ahead of the construction crew, and he's uh, you know making the route. So he's he's uh, finding the route and marking it so they can you know go from uh, one point to the next with the construction of these roads. Um, but, uh, super fascinating. He's, uh, he's got a, uh, a bulldozer. He's got a, a grader blade, a water truck or a water trailer. I can't remember. And, um, I guess it's a, it's a trailer. And then a, a, like a bunkhouse, you know, yeah. sort of a travel yeah, like trailer. A, a rolling bunkhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Land Rover and that's all they have to like make these roads. And there's like four guys or something. And at one point they accidentally set their bunkhouse on fire. So they're like all sleeping outside and they have water. And then I think at one point the greater blade breaks down. Mm -hmm. And so they can't really continue with the road building process. So they have to like tow it all back to, you know, wherever they came from. And it's like 2000 miles and the bulldozer goes like three miles an hour. So, (laughs) So they're just like towing it back over a span of like months it feels like that and yeah. um and then lens just driving around in his land rover just seeing stuff you know and uh it's it's pretty fascinating pretty neat is that is there any uh, indication of where that land rover is has it been lost to the ages is it in a museum you know, somewhere like the bush tucker one or i'm i'm sure there is some discussion of uh lens land rovers because he didn't just have one you know yeah, he did this over a, a, number, a yeah. career um you know i think he started out with a series one and then yeah. did some series twos and two a's but uh you know i think um maybe one or two of them are still existent. And then uh, uh, the other 
cars are lost, but there's there's actually plaques, you know, mm. on some of these roads, like yeah. the Gun Barrel Highway, I think is one of them that he worked mm-hmm. on. There's plaques, you know, that talk about him and are sort of a homage to his efforts in in constructing these roads. But he's, like I said, sort of an uh, Australian folk hero, you know, especially among Land Rover enthusiasts. But uh, I think his books are, are valuable and interesting beyond that, you know, for their content. Yeah. Well, we'll add that to the, uh, to the official uh, Land Rover uh, underpowered hour book club. And yeah, check it uh, out if you get a yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a read. You can, you can get all of them. I think there's a few of them that are Kindle um, that are available on the Kindle, so. but yeah. um but most of them, uh, if not all of them, I'm, I'm sure are available through Amazon. So definitely worth uh, picking those up. So uh, Ike, a, a whole new segment uh, here on the show, which uh, we like to invent segments and then never revisit them. I think this one, <laughs> I think this one uh, will be back, uh, we'll be back. to frequently. Uh, this, uh, this is a new segment we're calling Responding to the Comments. So uh, every week we publish uh, information on uh, ye old uh, internet, uh, both to Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, and on our YouTube channel. And all of those platforms allow you to comment. And we like to cherry pick a few great comments uh, every week, and uh, we'll we'll respond to those. Uh, so uh, first uh, comment up from John Carroll. I'm not sure if it's the John Carroll of the Land Rover magazine fame, uh, in, in which case is an interesting comment, but uh, uh, Ike, John Carroll. Carol's comment is, are you seriously suggesting that the Austin Gypsy is an imitation Land Rover? Yeah, and I want to respond to that fully. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a copy of the Land Rover. I mean, it, it, it looks like it bears more than a passing resemblance to a Land Rover. It uh, has uh, virtually all the same features. Uh, there are some differences with respect to the, you know, suspension, a few other things. But uh, generally speaking, it's it's about as close of a copy of any vehicle that there ever was. It's yep. uh, it it's so similar. I mean, I I think I have uh, more people that mistake Austin Gypsies for Land Rovers and then tell me there's a a Land Rover, you know, sitting in a field somewhere and yeah. only for it to turn out to be an Austin Gypsy. And uh, those people are, you know, maybe not experts, but they're certainly automotive enthusiasts and they're mm-hmm. mistaking these gypsies for Land Rovers. And uh, I don't think that's uncommon. It's definitely looks a lot like a Land Rover. But it's an honest mistake, John Carroll, maybe the, of Land Rover <laughs> magazine fame. Uh, if, for the rest of our so. listeners, you be the judge. You know, you check out some pictures of some Austin gypsies and tell us what you think. Uh, is it a copy or uh, is it not a copy? Of you know what? We'll set up an Instagram contest just to just to infuriate John Carroll, <laughs> maybe of Land Rover Magazine, uh, and uh, we'll just see. We'll see how far we can uh, we can take this. So uh, another uh, another comment. Uh, our good friend uh, Gunnar Miller, who uh, who is a frequent commenter on our Facebook uh, posts, uh, says, uh, "I think the reason that the Stretch Series One uh, in Never So Few, the uh, famous Steve uh, McQueen film, was." that they were trying to uh, replicate a Japanese World War II vehicle. I am not familiar with a Japanese World War II vehicle that looks like that. But, uh, you know, in the space of Hollywood, I'm sure that may have been the case. But if you especially know... Especially at that time, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. especially at that yeah. time. It, it, you know, it does have a rising sun flag on the, on the fender. So uh, it, is, it is possible that they were trying to do that. 
Yeah, but I don't know. I guess I don't know if it's a specific one they were trying to emulate. Right. But if you know, if you know, if you've seen that film and you know uh, what that vehicle might have looked like, let us know. Drop a comment and then you may be the future subject of responding to the comments. Uh, well, like that uh, wraps up a, another rousing uh, discussion of Land Rovers and uh, EV goats uh, on uh, this very special episode of the Underpowered EV Goat Hour. Um, we have some super fantastic guests coming up in the next few weeks. We've got some really fun stuff coming up there. We finally, and I, we've been saying this every week for weeks, and we're just going to keep doing it. We finally uh, are on the precipice, the precipice of new merch on the underpowered hour store some super amazing uh art cool. uh, as stickers as t-shirts um you know potentially as uh marital aids <laughs> ladies undergarments <laughs> marital aids yeah whatever you know uh again uh too too long in the bush uh in in that case you know we've got it all we've got it all whatever you're looking for uh un- unfortunately because of the length of time we've spent in the bush uh, this episode we have run out of time for ike's uh review of uh nando's so that will have to uh wait uh, for a future episode um unfortunately but uh we'll get there one of these days it'll happen they've been uh, patiently waiting actually uh, on hold uh every episode <laughs> since uh, we started uh to uh, offer any additional information that we might want about nando so uh one of these days we're going to take them out of the guest lounge and uh, we'll get them on the show so we'll do it looking forward to that uh and uh, ike that's uh it for us uh, this week so uh, as always uh good luck out there and uh, we'll talk to you next week all right thanks steven see you soon Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook. 